Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. And we are streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, this is your first time tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And you can subscribe to the podcast. Who is that calling in the middle of my intro? It's okay. You can still subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So if that's iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, today our guest, we are joined in studio by Jen Walling. Uh, she has served as the executive director of the Illinois Environmental Council since 2011. And we're going to talk all things environment today. <laughs> so welcome to Radio Islam. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So tell us, uh, this is one of those areas. Um, it's, you know, the environment is something that we all benefit from. Mm-hmm. All right? We all depend upon but we don't always take notice of it. Uh, particularly, it's, it's normally when there's a real problem that we pay attention. Can you tell us a bit, first of all, just what, what's your pathway into this particular field of, of, of environmental activism and advocacy? <laughs> sure. So I think, um, you know, I'm somebody that really cares about public service and, and charity and making a difference. And I feel like I have been interested in environmental issues since I was pretty young. Um, I mean, some of it started with recycling, but um, just thinking about the way that the actions that we take impact other people. Um, and, you know, we may be benefiting from something that is hurting someone else. So really, that's the whole philosophy to what I think about. Um, and so in the work that we do, we're doing a lot on water and energy issues and things that um working to prevent pollution and and protect public health protect wildlife all of that but um you know i volunteered on environmental issues even in high school um and then college i have a a bachelor's and master's in environmental science Mm -hmm. and um i also got a law degree but uh you know i kind of got into it because um when i started college I thought, uh, you know, I really want to go after the bad guys that are polluting, and I I think I can do that as a lawyer. Uh, And then I began to realize that environmental law takes a really long time. And so it turned out that lobbying and advocacy um, was something that I'm not a very patient person. I don't like waiting for results, (laughs) even though I have to do it all the time. But I was not patient enough for a lawsuit. So, you know, we work a lot on passing legislation that will do the right thing for the environment. So that advocacy, uh, and that has a direct relation to, to policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you find that it's more effective to spend time uh, in advocating and drafting, um, I guess, potential legislation uh, as opposed to waiting for those who are, who are sitting there to come up with it on their own. Yeah, well, and I, you know, with, with law especially, um, you know, I remember I worked for Environmental Law and Policy Center, which is a great organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked there for a year right out of law school. But I had a friend who was working there, and she had worked for at least five years on this case that had to do with forests in Michigan. And she won the case, 
But she didn't win the case because the trees shouldn't be cut down. She won the case on some notice violation that the company didn't do the right thing. And so it had a good result. But to me, you know, it's those trees shouldn't be cut down. That's old growth forest. That's habitat. Um, But with with advocacy, we can really make that case to legislators that you need to vote the way that we'd like because this is the right thing to do. And this is the thing that your constituents want you to do because it's important to people. When it comes to, because I think that's a really interesting point to see that a victory was made on the the letter of the law, mm-hmm. right? Had very little to do with the value that we all that we should place on the environment. Uh, do you find that it is difficult to get people to to care um, when when it comes to uh, environmental issues? Um, I think that it can go either way because. There's sometimes that I'm directed to do the work that we do because there are so many people that care and I have a need. I might not have funding to do it, but I need to to move. So, you know, for example, this crisis that has happened in Flint, Michigan, I think we just all watch it and we're horrified. Um, But it really has opened this window of people who really care about addressing lead issues And so we worked and passed at the beginning of 2017 a law that requires every school and every childcare in Illinois to test for lead um, and then fix the issue if there's uh, lead in the drinking water. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with an issue like that, with lots of support and lots of people willing to weigh in on it, um, you know, there's other things that are important to us that it's really hard to get people and you, you have to have a story behind it can't just be like, oh, we really think this group should have legal standing because nobody understands that. So, right. um, but, you know, uh, we do find there's some really solid supporters and volunteers. And in the last couple of years, I think everybody who's doing advocacy has seen an increase and we've seen the same. Uh, would you say that there that it is driven more by volunteers um, as a po- just because of the, the, the breadth of uh, you know of, of environmental issues that we have, mm-hmm. um, and when it comes to funding, you know so many of these so many of the agencies that are that have taken this on as a responsibility are underfunded. You know they're they're overworked, and uh, so volunteers become a critical part. Would you say across the board that 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 the the role of volunteers is, is essential in um, you know in in being a part of the advocacy? Well, absolutely. I think there are uh, volunteer opportunities in just the work that we do in general, but definitely you have such a crucial role as um, as somebody who can make a difference as a constituent in connecting with your lawmakers about these issues. And no matter where you are, building that relationship with the elected officials that represent you and making sure they know how you feel about an issue and organizing your neighbors to do that is is something that really makes an impact and I think um, you know we've seen what happens when we don't do that and what the very severe consequences can be not just to the environment but but people's lives so just that that organizing on an issue that can translate into elections that can translate into leadership very important yeah so tell us a bit about the the history of the uh, Illinois Environmental um, Council Church. So we were formed in 1975, so uh, the organization's 43 years old right now, and we were actually formed by other environmental organizations, so the Sierra Club, the Isaac Walton League, um, uh, 
Audubon Society, all of these groups that were around in 1975, they got together and they realized that we kept losing in Springfield and we kept losing because we didn't have one consistent voice that was there to represent everybody. And so they formed the Illinois Environmental Council. And today we have over 80 organizational members um, and they're anything from you know, small neighborhood environmental groups to national groups that are located here in Chicago. Um, and they're located all over Illinois. We've got Metro East. We've got far southern Illinois. Um, so uh, those those are the groups that we've represented. And, and today, you know, there's some more capacity than there was in 1975. So there are groups like Environmental Law and Policy Center that have lobbyists or Sierra Club has lobbyists. But we're able to make sure everybody's coordinated and I would say if you want to make a difference on an issue, having that coalition and working together, yeah. uh, really important. That's why that's there. Because otherwise, the people who are against you, they can divide you up. Mm. They can um, you know, just really work on undefeating uh, you because one person says one thing, one person says another. Um, so sticking together in that coalition has been very powerful for us. All right. You know, an organization that's 43 years old has seen a lot of changes uh, particularly when it comes to uh, the the ability to bring people together and communicate. And now that we're in this era of social media, uh, has that played uh, has that played uh, any role in your ability to uh, to make sure that there's a, a connectedness? Uh, is that a part of um, IEC? Absolutely. So you know, I think even in terms of uh, this is not quite our message, but. You know, I talked to our previous executive directors that did work in the 70s and 80s, and when they would do work in the state legislature, you know, there was no online system where you looked for hearings. You had to go to this one bulletin board in this one place where they could just post a hearing at a moment's notice. And if you wanted a copy of the bill, you had to go to the journal room and print it. Mm. Um, and, you know, today I can be really lazy and just watch the um, – video of a committee hearing from my office across the street, right? (laughs) Right, right. So that has fundamentally changed our work and I think given a lot more transparency to what the state legislature is doing. But um, when it comes to social media, I can find that there's things that are hit and miss. There's things that I think are awesome about the way that we're communicating over the internet and there's things that I worry about because we definitely are able to send out weekly newsletters and people are a lot better informed. But I think that Um, sometimes people substitute sharing or liking something for taking action on an issue and they don't understand. Mm, And just a a concrete example, we shared this item. We have a forum email generator that you fill out your name and address and it sends to write your legislator. Mm -hmm. And we shared a post on Facebook and it had like over 30 shares that people shared it with their friends, said take action. And we went back and we looked and there were maybe seven people that actually took action on it. So they went to the step of telling their friends to do something they hadn't even done yet. And so I think we have to, um, it's a great tool, but we also have to look at it with caution. You know, as you mentioned that, I'm thinking how many times I've seen posts like that, Mm -hmm. particularly with with a take action, you know, call your representative, call your legislator. uh, And maybe that ought to be at at the top of it, right? Don't share this until you have called, until until you have have done whatever the action item is. yeah, because um, we we have we have enough of those that come out of out of either through Sound Vision or uh, Burma Task Force or, or other organizations, you know, CIGC. Uh, but yeah, that's I think that's probably a problem across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is the 
um, when you talk about co the uh, coalitions, um, and I'm looking at environmental advocacy, and there's this, uh, there's a convergence of, of interest now when we talk about environmental justice. Uh, can you talk a bit how these things have come together and the types of, um, the, the, the coalition that has come, I guess, because this is maybe this is a new coalition now. Uh, could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think that when you look back at the environmental community and the history that we've had, I think we need to change how we behave because, you know, I, I think that a lot of 70s, 80s, 90s came out of wealthy white communities that didn't want items in their backyard. Right. And if it didn't go in their backyard, it went somewhere else. And too often it went into the same community's backyards over and over and over. And um, you have communities in Chicago that are a donut of toxicity. And yeah. um, we have not devoted enough resources to it. And that's something that we're highly focused on in the work we do now. Um, we work a lot with Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, which is Little Village, but they're doing nation-leading work on environmental justice. And um, there's a number of frontline communities work with People for Community Recovery, Southeast Environmental Task Force, that are really doing important neighborhood work. And we want to figure out ways to support more of that community work. Mm -hmm. um, I think we need to, when we're issuing a permit, look at the cumulative impact of that permit that we're putting in. So if we put this in, are there six other facilities that are doing the same thing right next to a school? You know, that, that happens all the time. Right. Uh, and I think beyond the permits, um, and this really credit has to go to Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, we passed a really important bill on climate change, the Future Energy Jobs Act, and um, you know, we can talk more about what's in it later, but what is nation-leading in that bill is the programs that are in it for um, low-income people. So there's um, energy efficiency uh, portions that are increased for low-income people, but there's this new program called um, Illinois Solar for All that uh, they're just hiring a program administrator to start in six months, mm -hmm. but it'll bring the benefit of solar to um, people who are low-income, who can't afford it at all. Uh, and also as part of it, there's a lot of job training. And in fact, 2,000 of the jobs uh, have a goal of being for returning citizens or foster care alumni. Awesome. Um, and we're also working to make sure you know, if you're a solar installer, you may say, I don't want to hire a felon because they're going to somebody's house. But you need to look at it from a justice capacity of, you know, we need to make sure that um, anybody has a chance to get these jobs and the best qualified people, you know, get them and that we um, we train people and then have jobs for them afterward. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, this is not just about pollution. It's about creating an economy that works for everybody. Yeah. And that's that's our goal. Yeah, that that that's awesome. Um, when you talk about nation leading work, and uh, for me, I guess by extension, the the leading is in establishing a model that mm -hmm. others can follow. Um, is that recognition, or is that, uh, is that is that recognition that is always? How should I say? Is it recognized by others around the nation that this is something that we should all also be doing? Oh, for sure. I think especially with the solar for all, I mean, not enough because yeah. there are obviously states that are not going to go in the right direction. But I think a number of states are looking at the model that we put together, especially for the solar for all program, the job training work. 
and saying, how can we copy that? Mm. And how can we bring that here? Um, and I think, you know, it was such when we passed the um, that energy bill, it was a month after the 2016 election. Mm. So it was really nice to be heading into a direction where we were going to tackle climate change and we were going to help provide jobs for people that need them in communities that have been ignored. Uh, and I think that was... Um, really important for everybody's spirit after after the 2016 election so how, how much has the uh the new administration's uh policies and stance on because there's been a lot of uh, just a uh, just an unraveling of environmental uh policies within you know within the epa uh, how much has that affected the work uh that that you all have been doing well i think that it's all of it's very concerning because when a lot of a lot of state environmental laws are tied to federal environmental laws, so if they roll it back, we automatically roll it back. Right. Um, we haven't seen the budget cuts that we thought we were going to have, but I think that in Illinois, for the most part, we've headed in, continued to head in the right direction. We've continued to talk about how we're going to tackle climate change, but I think um, you know. With this administration, too, the, um, with the state administration, the Rauner administration, compared to the Trump administration, I'm also worried there's a look at agencies and a, oh, we're not going to fund them, we're not going to hire people, and then we're going to say it's broken and it doesn't work, so we shouldn't have it anymore. Right. And I think that's what's going to happen more and more at the federal level. We, you know, The IEPA, um, I don't know where they're at now, but in May they were around 630 employees. And uh, I think it's 2002, they had 1,280. So the employees there have been cut in half. And even since um, the With the same workload. Same workload, yeah. And even from the previous administration, they've lost about 300 people um, in five years. And, uh, you know, we really need to to hire those positions because, I mean, there's the issue of getting permits out and making sure they're looked at quickly enough, but then enforcement suffers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think those things have mirrored each other and we've seen it play out at the state level and we know it doesn't work. We um, need to make sure those agencies are adequately funded. Mm-hmm. Um, and IEPA is an agency that can fund itself. Um, it gets uh, fines and fees and permit fees and hasn't relied on general tax dollars. Right. Um, so that's that's been a mirror of the federal government. And that's kind, that's kind of weird, um, strange to say the least, that an organization... Uh, that can fund itself would allow itself its its workforce to be cut in half mm-hmm. uh which means that its output is 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 not going to be you know they're not they're not doing what they should be doing mm-hmm. that yeah that that is uh it's kind of head scratching right <laughs> yeah. um yeah um you had a clear path you know your idea was to you know you wanted to uh, you know, you know, going to law, you mm-hmm. know, originally, but there was always a draw towards uh, environmental issues for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think? Uh, w- w- what's your thought on the state of education as it relates to those types of careers? Just an awareness, um, because it feels like our policymakers uh, at times not not that they are uh, that they have any type of uh, ill intent. But it seems like they reflect what I see as a lack of uh, information, a lack of ed- education, and just being sensitized uh, to environmental issues. Uh, do you think that that's an accurate uh, assessment in general as far as our education is, uh, system is concerned? 
Yeah, I think, you know, in the 90s, there was kind of an uptick in some of the environmental education that was out there. There was a little more funding for it, a little more funding in general. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen a little bit more of a downtick. But when, you know, um, just from the beginning, like in grade schools, if you um, get involved in environmental education, you definitely see that come home. So we, for example, have worked with this organization, Seven Generations Ahead, which is out in Oak Park, and um, they do composting programs with uh, schools. And um, we went to some schools in Albany Park, and um, you know these these kids were just so excited to show us and the uh, state legislators that we brought with mm-hmm. um, how they helped lead the composting program. Mm-hmm. And um, you know they go home and they talk to their parents about recycling and. I think that's really important, but I also worry about, um, you know, I there are programs for college students. I'm really excited about. I'm a graduate of U of I. I'm really excited about their free tuition program. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, wow, that that one is mind blowing. That's a game changer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they have a really great environmental science program, environmental studies program. Mm-hmm. What I worry about more in um, when I'm hiring. And young people that want to get into advocacy, I think that colleges should be teaching more about advocacy. And I know they they want to, you know, maybe leave it alone because it feels like it's lobbying. It feels like it's political. But the ability to organize and impact um, social change in your own community or your state is a skill that you can learn and yeah. you can become better at over time. So. I um, am an adjunct professor at U of I in Urbana and um, teach a class. And part of my class, I teach about law and policy, but I also teach about how important it is to understand how to pass that into law because the ideal policy you have means nothing if you can't get it passed. And so um, I think those skills are, you know, when I'm trying to hire somebody, I often, there's people in the environment world, there's people in the political world, I'm not often finding the mix that I need um, when I'm doing my hiring. Mm. Well, you uh, universities, uh, if you're listening, you should be paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a void there. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when it comes to uh, this, so there's there's an overlap, mm-hmm. right? Uh, obviously uh, that exists, but with regard to new people, uh, young people that are that are looking to figure out what's going to be their career their career path. Um, What's the what's the challenge? Um, what's the challenge? Is, is it more like kind of an a la carte type of uh, situation? They say, well, I'm going to need these particular skills, and I'm not getting them all in this one program. Or is that it? Is there not a program that provides all of those skills that would uh, equip them to enter into um, advocacy for, for an organization like mm-hmm. um, IEC? Well, I would say in general for advocacy, for example, I think there are very few programs that are out there that prepare students adequately for a career in that. And, you know, like I said, um, you know, Obama was mocked for being a community organizer, but it, it's yeah. something that there's there are jobs for, and it's something that is um, that you can learn. Um, right. I mean, there's people that come in naturally talented, just like any other skill. Um, so I think that's something that is important. Uh, in the environment, you know, there are places, and I, I think it's good to have a strong science or engineering background. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with, with career path, and, and this is what is really hard, I think, um, 
you know, there's such a decline in internships that are available now in everywhere. Mm. You know, um, we try to have, we've got three different interns right now, one from UIC, one from Loyola, and one in Springfield at UIS. Um, and, you know, I, I find that some of that's declining because what was important for me um, in determining what I wanted to do was taking positions and job that, jobs that I didn't want to do. Okay. Um, so I worked a lot in chemistry labs and I was not very good at it. And I also just didn't, you know, washing glass were for the rest of my life, maybe not. Yeah. Um, and I worked for a corporation one summer and just didn't like the culture. Um, and so, you know, that process of trying out things and figuring out what you don't like Mm-hmm. is just as important as figuring out what we do like. And I was very lucky to have those experiences, and I want to make sure that's that's provided to others. Hmm. Okay. Now, when you talked about um, the easy part is to craft a, a policy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's the hard part in that, and in, in getting it to the next level where, where it becomes uh, a, a, a piece of legislation that's actually voted on? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, obviously um, getting it passed in the state legislature can be really problematic and we uh, we do a lot of citizen campaigns where we um, get people to write their lawmakers we um, build relationships with lawmakers and we work on lobbying them um, so it's all about building the power that you need to get something done and sometimes you may have that on your own because you're in the right and you have a lot of constituents Sometimes you have to bring on really powerful partners. You may, uh, on the energy bill we worked on, we worked very heavily with labor um, to get something done. But sometimes we fight with labor. Mm-hmm. So you got to build a very powerful coalition and, and build the power that you need to either bring your opponents on board or steamroll them. Um, right. <laughs> and, and more likely you're going to bring them on board in Springfield because legislators really liked, uh, like a bill that's agreed to. So, um, you know, it can be... Uh, that is definitely the difficult part because there can be bills that we'll put out that just won't move or will take us seven years to get done. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely activists can get really frustrated. And especially if you might be somebody that, um, you know, might be very progressive or very conservative, you have to look at the rest of the state. And there are people of all sorts of political stripes from very super conservative to very super liberal um, all over and so you have to figure out how you're going to move those people on board all right all right well let me ask this because i know we're getting we're getting close yeah um, <laughs> so, um are there any um are there any volunteer opportunities right now that um that iec has so uh if you, our website is islandviro.org and islandviro and we're always and, and we're at islandviro on um twitter and facebook Okay. Um, we're always posting opportunities to contact your legislator, which is, um, you know, something that anybody can do at home. Um, you know, we've got a young professionals board for uh, millennials that are interested in the environment that have a number of different events. But our biggest volunteer events end up being, you know, our lobby day. Okay. Um, but if you're somebody that's more interested in, say, a beach cleanup or doing things in your neighborhood, some of our um, affiliate organizations do more like that. So the Alliance for the Great Lakes, they're a great organization that does a lot of beach cleanups. We just partnered with them to do one at 31st Street Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sierra Club, they're always doing um, organizing campaigns in the local communities. Those are great groups. Um, 
you know, if if you look at, uh, like I said, our website, ilenviro.org, we have a list of our affiliate members, and a lot of them have day-to-day opportunities. Um, we more are directing people to come join us, and, um, you know, right now we're hosting a lot of listening sessions, although not in Chicago, about energy issues okay. um, that, you know, folks can get involved with. But there's just, there's so much to do, and I'm really always happy to have people on board that want to help out. Well, we're definitely going to go ahead and post the link. Great. Uh, post your link on our uh, Facebook page and Twitter. and um, Yeah, it's, it's been really a pleasure talking to you, Jen. Thank you so Thank much you for having much. me. I really appreciate it. Yes. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, that was Jen Walling. She is the executive direct director for the IEC, that's Illinois Environmental Council. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a minute. excuses for not saving energy. I didn't plug it in. I'll turn it off later. It's not my music. It's just one phone charger. So um, we don't have those Energy Star appliances. So that old window leaks. How much energy and money could the new ones really save? Maybe it's time to stop making excuses and start doing some simple things to save the energy and resources we can. Because a little here and a little there can add up to a lot later. And you just never know what people will need in the future. My name is Sarah, and I'm going to get started today. We can all help save more energy for tomorrow. What's your excuse? For more energy-saving tips that also save money, visit loseyourexcuse.gov parents. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy, the Ad Council, and the station. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq al and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are just tuning in, be sure to follow us, uh, like our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, we're going to switch gears a little bit and... Talk about the response to Colin Kaepernick's Nike sponsorship. Uh, And it has been varied. And to be quite honest, I think there are more questions than there are answers right now. But wherever you stand on it, it is certainly worth something uh, discussing. So to get this discussion rolling, I'm going to be joined by the ever-present 
I shouldn't say the ever-present, right? <laughs> but yes, I'll, I'll use it. I'll use it in this case. You know what I mean? The ever-present, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Baig. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And my good buddy. It's not movie talk, but we do more than movies. So we're talking. Bubba Murray, <laughs> filmmaker extraordinaire. Thank you for having me. All right, pleasure, pleasure. So let, let's start out first of all. Um, I'm going to go with, there's an old, I think it's from The Last Poets. says, the revolution will not be televised. What, uh, an iconic line, and it really spoke to this idea that uh, of a grassroots movement that would, that would overturn the system, right? The, the revolution will not be televised. But we're in a mass communication. We're in a mass media um, time where there's very little that is not televised and very little that does not. Matter of fact, our movements are based now. They're, they're very much based in social media. So Nike um, sponsoring, uh, taking uh, Colin Kaepernick on, who was a symbol for, still is, as a symbol for the, the Black Lives uh, Matter movement, uh, who's a symbol for um, pushing back against police violence and police brutality and, 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 uh, and, and men of color, black men being killed uh, errantly by police, and, and, and who has paid a price. You know, he's paid a price for that. He hasn't worked. He hasn't, you know, sat out all of last season, uh, was not picked up by another NFL team, and now Nike... Nike, one of, the, I mean, the biggest, you know, the 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 Don Dada, of, you know, of of of, of shoe companies and, and and apparel, has ta- have taken them on. Has the struggle been co-opted? Is the revolution being televised? And has, wh- what does this do? What what, what what what, who who wants to take first swing at this? But <laughs> I mean, I can jump in. It's. It's the, this whole revolution is all about television. Yeah. So it has to be televised. So so I think that the idea of a corporation getting involved in this as as a, as a negative is is misguided. And mm. just in the sense of again, we're in a world where corporations now have to have to carry the burden of the moral uh the sense of morality in our country because it's not going to come from our elected officials so what institutions do we have to look to uh to help guide us both morally and uh i'd say economically so i mean now they're your standards. You've got your religious institutions. You've got your educational institutions, and but then you get into those everyday world where, when you're forced to mix with people outside of your close circle, and that's where it becomes things you buy or where you work or again laws that we have to follow. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like this is just a natural evolution as far as participation in the topics so with nike coming on board i think this is less nike co-opting a ground roots thing but i look at it more as nike 
taking a stand against other corporations who have been on the other side. Let's say like a Dick's Sports mm-hmm. or Papa John's, all these corporations who have come out and said, we won't let our employees do this or we don't want them to do that. You know, and you're coming up against, you know, our tabloid president who is saying that the NFL has to. Since, since you mentioned him, I have to say, so he, uh, Donald Trump tweeted Wednesday, says Nike is getting killed over the endorsement deal. And, of course, you know, he is one who is who is given to uh, hyperbole, right? Whatever he says, he makes his own reality. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about this going to harm them financially? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How yeah. does he know that already? Well, the first day the stocks dropped a little bit. Okay. They, but they dropped yeah. 2%. Uh, but, again, you're looking at who are the traders. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Those who are moving massive amounts uh, of money, you know, taking really big uh, chunks of stock. So, I mean, a one-day fluctuation is not something you don't base, you don't uh, make uh, any real valuation off of that. Did you Did you Oh, okay. See, I was going to say the the thing, the trick is what do the other, with with the Kaepernick thing, what do the other uh, sports icons or their their other 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 brands and yeah, their other other brands. What what do those athletes say? How are they going to react? Are they going to say, oh, now that you're supporting Kaepernick, we're pulling out? Well, you, I think you mentioned something that's definitely worth consideration. There is a natural apprehension, I think, to look at where the money is, right? Corporate sponsorship to, to think that it is simply self-serving, that it's just about itself. Uh, but there are people behind it. There are people that are making decisions on behalf of Nike. So, you know, somebody could say that maybe that there is – uh, that it's grounded in something deeper than just the bottom line. I'm a little hesitant to, to go all in on that, but I, I do recognize that as a possibility. When you talk about the, the I don't, I don't, I don't want to say backlash, but Nike getting killed, right? But um, over the endorsement deal, one of the things, this college, uh, the College of the Ozarks, right? So it's a private Christian school in Point Lookout, Missouri. Uh, now, they compete at the NAIA level, not sure what that is, um, but it says that they're going to remove all uniforms purchased from Nike that contain the brand's logo. This on top of people posting videos of them burning their jerseys or shoes or whatever um, to, to show their disapproval. What I did appreciate was Nike fired back. There's a I saw it on Instagram. I think it was Instagram. It says that um, instead of burning or ripping up the Nike, the jerseys, why don't you give them, donate them to those millions of uh, veterans, homeless veterans, that you claim to care so much about? So <laughs> I thought that I was like... That. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew they said that, why don't you just donate them to somebody in need or whatever? I didn't know specifically they said, why don't you donate them to veterans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did see that, and then, but again, when you read the, when you read the, the comments... Uh-huh. One person on that said, "Well, did Nike really write that?" So, I yeah, I mean that's fair. But, which I, I mean, know. no, but I mean I think that's a good point. Yeah, uh, I don't know if Nike, if that's an official Nike statement, but it's still a really good statement. And it is. Back in my day, they used to call that a burn. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good burn. Uh, I think that demonstrates how we can how it's important to separate between the corporation as one entity 
and having one identity versus the people that make up the corporation. Yeah. I'm willing to believe that many people on many levels of the corporate ladder at Nike really are socially conscious and they really do care about the movement. But I'm still a little bit unwilling to believe that Nike as a corporation which whose goal is to make money mm-hmm. that that goal is now being you know supplanted by a more noble like goal in the long term and that when when all is said and done you know yeah yeah and, and to and to kind of continue with that train of thought if that were the case right then we would see that playing out across the board not just when it comes to someone who stood up uh who who is tied to this uh to the black lives matter movement we would also see it in terms of their response to, um, uh, to to labor, right, and wages. And if we look at where, because I believe, and I'm going to find this, hopefully during the program while, while we're still on, but their shoes are made, I think, if, if they're made in, in China or Taiwan or wherever they make their shoes at. Somewhere in East Asia. I think they move around the location, you know. Yeah, when but it says, like, the shoes cheaper. cost, like, you know, five $5 to be made. It's right. not. It's certainly not fair trade if the if that's what the, the, exactly. the phrase is now. Yeah. But the allegations of like s- brutal sweat shopping. Yeah. That was a long time ago. I don't know specifically what they've done to improve that or not. I'm assuming they've done quite a bit to improve it. Yeah. But I don't know the whole story. But as far as like having a fair trade type of scenario for the labor, no, definitely mm-hmm. not. And and I don't want to equivocate. Um, I don't want to. Like I don't want to remove the significance of um, of those people, right? Mm-hmm. That are that are in the company saying, you know, we need to do something, and we're looking. You know, they always look for somebody that can be the face of a campaign, and saying, why not Colin? Right? Somebody had to had to bring it up, and I'm sure it was met with some resistance because these these corporations are very much uh, reflective of just the general the general uh, population, where you're going to have some folks who are pro and some who are anti. So I don't want to, like, gloss over that to say because you do one thing. Things, they come, they come in time. Everything is not done all at the same time. Um, but do you think that this takes away from the, um, it takes away from the, the real meat of what Colin was standing up for? And, or does this really put, now, I think you kind of mentioned, but I, w- I want to just kind of put a put a period behind this. Do you really think that this is Nike Nike uh, Nike being one of the, the first companies to really come out and say, as as a as a brand, that we stand with the movement? I think it is them saying that, but the 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 question, the second question is, what are their motivations behind saying that? You know, um, like I said, I think there's people there who are sincere. But the bottom line of any corporation is going to be money. You know, there's just no way to change that. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, also, I would add to that that Kaepernick being kind of the unofficial um, spokesperson of this branch of the movement, the NFL aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, he's certainly, I think he's been accepted generally as the, the head, the unofficial head of the, you know, he's been expe- uh, accepted as the head of the NFL branch of this movement, right? Right. So, to a large extent, I kind of think it's his call, too. Um, now, I don't know whether he's 
doing it for free or if he's going to make obscene oh, amounts of money. You know? <laughs> um, I'm assuming he's going to make crazy money. Yeah. Um, so that's another question mark there. Mm. Um, if it's really about, you know, just the movement, just the movement, then would you do it for free? Would you do it for less money? Or, you know, the money is an issue. But at the end of the day, since he was, he has been unofficially accepted as the spokesperson for this aspect, this branch of yeah. the movement, mm. that's kind of his call. Yeah. Well, again, when I'm thinking of Nike too, I don't think they have to be about Kaepernick's movement. Mm. I don't think that's what this campaign is about. This campaign is about taking a stand and being willing to to suffer the consequences for whatever that is. So they aren't making a a call about police brutality or inequity or anything about that. They're just stating, if you have a voice, use it despite your detractors. That's what they're saying. I mean, this is this is Nike. I mean, they're the... Weren't they Charles Barkley, you know, I'm not a role model? Yeah. So, so they, they aren't... They are in the forefront of this sort of controversial in-your-face campaigning. So, and they are a huge conglomerate corporation this isn't a, a mom and pop they have put in a lot of research into into having an well just into what is going to happen because of this campaign they didn't just come up with this Speak, speaking of, of the campaign um one of i heard one uh, one commentator talking about and he says that anybody he said michael phelps or simone biles and he mentioned some other athlete he said anybody could have said the words that uh, Colin Kaepernick said. Now, the most important words came at the very end, and of course, there's this, uh, there's an allusion to his own stance that he took. It says, "Believe in something, even if it, it was even if it cost, it cost you, you everything. everything." Right. So that's probably the the most powerful point of it. But it was more about all through it. Uh, it's more about feelings. It's very uh, abstract. Uh, now, of course, they do a great job in 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 the casting because they have. Uh, they have the disabled. They're, they're Muslims. They're young people. They're, uh, you know, I think I don't know if there's any, any any elder people in there, but they've got a really good mix, gender and uh, and so on, with, with, uh, throughout this throughout this. But then he is the face, right now. How America sees him, how the world sees him, is definitely tied to the stance that he took on the football field, right? But that's not what they're that's not what they're pushing. They don't make any. Uh, allusions. They don't make any references to what he um, made a stance about. It was it was just about it was, it was a feeling, right? Now, and and I'll say this too. I would not expect him to do this for free, right? I mean, I would, I'd have serious problems with him, right? Because they're gonna sell a lot of jerseys, they're gonna sell a lot of a lot of shoes and 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 shirts and, and everything else because they are backing him. So it is. So it's a business, right? And right, get your check. But, but I'm, but on that note, they, at least they picked somebody who you know, they will put their money where their heart is. Oh, absolutely. Because he has proven that time and again. Now you've got the other side of the coin. If you have the, you know, make America great again, people saying something like that. Where, where did monies from the Trump Foundation end up? I mean, this is a guy <laughs> who started a school and is was convicted, was found guilty of fraud. Mm-hmm. He is a con man. 
so where is the moral equivalency of a con man leading a convicted con man leading the resistance or the opposition to a successful athlete who is willing to step away from his career mm-hmm. for excuse me a cause he believed in you right well while people are in it they're not going to see uh, I'd say they're not going to be able to necessarily see a right and wrong in this they're they're going to be caught up emotionally but let's say you know a couple more years down the road mm-hmm. say in 2020 when maybe we don't have or 2018 when maybe we only have two years of a certain president right and then people ha- can come back and reflect on these moments mm-hmm. uh, I think I think as a corporation yeah Nike is at least is on the right side of this argument and again not the argument about the standing for the anthem or this and that because obviously they don't even know what this other side doesn't even understand what, what the protest about. is about right they're just on the side mm-hmm. of believe in your words and show conviction you can't call that a bad idea mm. okay everything um what's the question you asked first? <laughs> i was gonna answer that question first uh, at My first bad. <clears throat> about does this mean that Nike is actually standing on are they are they aligning themselves with with the movement I think that's the question <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember no no there's a question after that but anyway there's another question okay <laughs> I'll answer it later um, I, I want to look at it for a second just from a purely um, finite business perspective for Nike okay now from a purely business perspective I do think it's a really wise decision. Okay. And why is that? Because, oh, yeah, here's the question that I was going to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you asked, couldn't anybody have said this? You know, Michael Phelps or Right, or right, whatever. that's what they said. And yeah. I think the um, the answer is yes, technically anyone could have said it, but there's a whole context, the whole story that comes with Kaepernick that everyone knows about now. Right. And so by taking in this person Kaepernick who has been basically blacklisted by all the teams and everything and saying yeah we'll give you a place to have your voice heard or whatever that's a pretty big statement in and of itself even if he doesn't directly reference Black Lives Matter or anything else in the movement yeah so there's that but back to looking at it from purely business perspective okay um and if you look at it kind of Bubba alluded started to allude to this where we have like red states blue states the country is as we know is fairly divided fairly polarized right now mm-hmm. now who is likely to buy who's more likely to buy sports equipment young people or older people younger people right and younger people are the ones who are also more likely to identify with uh inclusivity right such as black lives matter such as all different types of tolerance telling different people of different groups different backgrounds everything like you see in the commercial right um it's those same people who are more likely to play sports and buy sports equipment, right? So by appealing to them and kind of... Nike is not going anywhere, right? People can boycott Nike, but it's reached such a level like Coca-Cola and whatnot where it's not going to go anywhere by, you know... It's just not, probably. So sacrificing the business of the people who will boycott it and burn merchandise or whatever um, in order... And the trade-off that they get for that is um, more appeal with younger people 
who are going to play sports and buy sports equipment. From that aspect, I think it's a very, very mm, safe move. It's a safe bet on the part of Nike, just from I'm a pure in, business perspective. I, I'm inclined. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, just because as we look at the demographic of America as it's changing and this browning of America uh, is taking place, um, that's one of the things that in business everything is about forecasting. It's about not just looking at what are your earnings right now or what they, what were they last uh, quarter, last year, but also looking at what are your earnings going to be, what are you projecting 10 years down the line and 20 years down the line. And with that, um, I think this gives them an opportunity not just to situate themselves um, with this this new generation, this younger generation, but it also it also points back to uh, another uh, another issue that we don't talk about as much. But I think a guy like LeBron LeBron James uh, he embodies, and that is the power. And Colin as well, I think now it, it embodies it shows the power that these athletes have um, that they don't always wield, right? Because he had to agree. First of all, Colin had to agree to sign on with this, uh, and it might have also been. I'm trying to think if I could see him doing this with Under Armour, right, or with um, with Puma or Adidas or anybody, right? And, and maybe so, maybe so, but there is definitely a cultural. Uh, there's a much, I think, a much deeper cultural relevance that Nike has because you go back to Jordan, right? Uh, you look at, at Kobe, at, you know, and, and now uh, LeBron and, and Barkley, and, and you know, some of the, the the greats have all been outfitted in Nike. So there's um, there's there's kind of this sensitizing uh, that that's taking place because you say, right? Anybody could have said the words, but the fact that it was Colin who said them. And then you know his struggle. You know what he stands for. It, it puts it, yeah, it does put it all in a different. Um, it puts it all in a different perspective. So, I think this is as much about the power of the athlete and their ability to shape values and influence people, as it is about a um, uh, a campaign uh, for for you know for a brand. And also with those people you're talking about, don't forget Serena. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and I'm only saying Shame that because, on me. Shame but, on but me. just in the sense of not not about the icons themselves, but again about who or what they represent. Right. You've got women athletes. You've got male athletes. You've got young athletes. You've got athletes of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know that covers a large, large chunk of who's going to be buying your equipment for the next 15 years. Yeah. You're going to get these young ladies and girls who are you've got me too going on mm-hmm. you've got someone like serena williams who just had a baby and is going on her tear still yep so you say wow we've got these amazing female athletes out there i want to be an athlete and i'm talking about the nine <laughs> t- no i'm just saying that 19 year old is going to say that yeah i want to be like serena i want to get nike and, oh and by the way they're also socially conscious so, so Colin Kaepernick isn't going to hurt that message. And then when you talk about people who are burning the merchandise, I mean, you know, how do you get the merchandise to burn? You got to buy it. So <laughs> they already bought the stuff. 
And then they're burning their own thing. So they're not hurting anybody. <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of Nike muggings. Yeah, I mean, I'll just laugh myself to the bank. Oh, look, you bought my you bought my clothes to tear them up. In two years, it's just going to be something else that goes on eBay, just like ripped jeans. You know, I got, ooh, I got a swishless <laughs> Nike shirt. But the Nike is still making money off of those people, too. Right. So, but I, but the core thing that I think Nike's thinking is that we're we're targeting young, inclusive audience, and that's going to be larger than than not because just not to get a little political, but yeah, we although Trump won the electoral co- electoral college, he lost the popular vote, right? And as you said, there's the Browning of America. It lets us know. And the reason we are in the climate we have now because there's just a wave, yeah, uh, of people are afraid. So just saying that the the people who are on Kaepernick's side are just going to grow, and they're going to be younger mm. and more of them. So Nike is getting that demographic locked in. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I think we've. I think we're going to have more questions. This is something that's going to be talked about. I think for a while. Uh, I am personally happy to see uh, Cap uh, back out front and hoping, and we didn't get to talk about this, and maybe we'll at some other point uh, soon, hoping to see that this is actually going to translate into him being back on the field because that's what I want to see. So, um, Bubba, Ibrahim, thank you both. Uh, Radio Sound family, it is time for us to get out of here, so we thank you for tuning in. We want to thank our engineers over at WCEV. For making sure we come through loud and clear, we thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. All right, family, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.